the God described in Genesis in the Bible is the God who loves new beginnings. So take a deep breath. Let go of yesterday. Embrace this day. Lift up your heart. We're going to find God in each moment. And what I want to talk about today as we're looking through the creation narrative is something I've been looking forward to for a while. I want to try to describe what I think is the primary difference between the Genesis account of creation and the other accounts that were given in the ancient Near Eastern world that Genesis was a part of. We have seen that there were lots of creation accounts and common images, common language. There was what John Walton calls a cultural river, different ideas about chaos and conflict and breath and spirit and so that were a part of all those accounts. But Israel's was unique in some ways compared to others in the ancient Near East. A word about that phrase, if you're wondering, what do we mean by the ancient Near East? That actually is a phrase that started in the 1800s and it came from Great Britain, uh, mostly the world of diplomacy during the Crimean War. Uh, they would think about the East, and they divided it up into the Far East, like China and Japan, or the Near East, which is uh, uh, like where Iraq, uh, Turkey, Syria, Egypt were or are. And of course, from the perspective of the Brits, China's really far away. Um, Turkey is a little more near, so Near East, Far East. <laughs> Nothing real genius about it. I want to talk about what, what's the greatest distinction. Why did Genesis endure? You know, there's a general rule of thumb when it comes to history. Winners write the history. And of course, Israel was not the winner. Israel got beat up by everybody. Israel was only even independent for a very brief amount of time and never had an empire. So why is it that the account of creation, humanity in Israel prevailed? Those other accounts we have only in fragmentary forms, and they were discovered in the great archaeological quests, mostly in the 19th and 20th centuries, mostly by scholars who actually were trained in universities that were founded by followers of Jesus. So why did Genesis prevail? And as we're doing that, I want to invite you to think about this question for today. What can I give today? Because this is deeply a part of the Genesis account. What value can I bring today? Whose life can I enhance? Who could I make better? All right, what's the big difference? John Walton talks about this in his book, The Lost World of Adam and Eve. He says, in ancient Near Eastern creation stories, there are basically two major aspects of the role of human beings. They were created, one, in order to take over the drudge work of the gods, and number two, to serve the gods in performance of rituals through provisioning the deities in the temples. He says, the first of these roles have already been treated and is attested only in Sumerian and Akkadian sources. So you can look that up on your own for extra credit. Seconds demonstrated in the context of the decreeing of destinies in Mesopotamian literature can be seen throughout Egyptian literature, yada, yada, yada. These two roles together, here it is, compose what I would like to call the great symbiosis, the great symbiosis. The foundation of religion in Mesopotamia is, this was uh, uh, the thought among Israel's neighbors, that human beings have been created to serve the gods by meeting their needs, the gods' needs, for food, that's what sacrifices were about, for housing, that's why temples got built, and clothing and generally giving them worship and privacy, 
so that those gods can do the work of running the cosmos, bringing rain so that things can, the earth can be fertile and so on. The other side of the symbiosis is the gods will provide their investment by protecting their worshipers and providing for them. So, uh, this great symbiosis might also be thought of as the great transaction. In the ancient world, the general idea was that life is about getting the good things that you want. Whatever they are isn't particularly spelled out. It's not particularly tied to the nature of creation. You just decide, I want to be wealthy. I want to be healthy. I want to have pleasure. And then you engage in transactions with other people and with the gods so that you can get what you want. There has to be a basic level of order and morality and so on. But the gods generally were thought to be no more moral than you and I are. Um, they built cities. They were thought to live in communities. They were kind of like characters in Marvel uh, movies in, in that universe where they are flawed beings with superpowers. Now, the story of Genesis is incredibly different from this. Um, this is part of why, for example, in the ancient Near Eastern stories, there would be no account of a fall, because the idea of a fall or sin implies the notion, it rests on the notion that there is a God who wants to be in a relationship with you, and that that relationship has somehow been broken and that that God wants to restore that relationship. So, uh, in the ancient world, the great symbiosis, it's the great quid pro quo. Life is transactional. Uh, you take care of the gods, the gods will take care of you. What is at the core of the story of Israel in its understanding of the world is a God who is a supremely good God. Somebody asked John Walton one time, Who's the most underestimated character in all of the Bible? And his immediate response was, that would be God. The Old Testament is not a book of heroes. It's a book of one hero, and that hero is God. And that God is not only supremely powerful, but ultimately and infinitely good. Part of what Israel was introducing to the world is what became known as ethical monotheism. There is one God, and not only is he the creator of everything and the most powerful being, he's just the best. And so goodness, our sense of right and wrong, our capacity to live as moral agents, comes from that God. And instead of a great quid pro quo or life being about this great transaction, how can I get what I want, this symbiotic relationship where I take care of the powers, whatever they are, and then they will take care of me, survival of the fittest, the selfish gene. Instead, there is what Israel called a covenant relationship. Now, a covenant was kind of a contract. It was kind of an agreement between two parties. And as you read on through Genesis and then particularly Exodus, you get to the book of the covenant, the idea that God made a covenant with his people. And it's based on what were sometimes called vassal covenants. There would be a superior power state and a, an inferior, weaker one. And the weaker people would get protection. They might get food and so on. And the superior one would get their loyalty, might get some of their people to be soldiers in their army, have them pay taxes, give them labor. Only Israel in all the ancient world of all of those peoples believed there was a God who entered into a covenant with his people. But what was staggeringly different about this covenant was 
what the people get from God is uh, his love, his protection, his care, manna for the day, grace, forgiveness, guidance, wisdom, instruction about what is good. What does God get out of this? God gets nothing except for an opportunity to give more. This is why this idea was so revolutionary to the ancient world. The God who created everything there is doesn't need anything. God says, if I had needs, I would not tell you about it. And what that means is uh, life, the universe, is not built as a series of transactions. It's not about how do I get the stuff that I want. It is built on the foundation of self-giving love. The purpose of your life is to be immersed in self-giving love. So the question today is, how can I be receiving that love from God right now while I'm talking to you to be aware that God is right here with me? And he will, if I ask him, speak through me somehow and help create amongst us the fellowship of the withered hands where we can't, but God can. And so we let him. And then I ask God, how can I add value today? How can I be useful? Not in a thoughtless way, not out of anxiety, not in a way that's um, indulgent and not helpful to other people. Jan Berry, the guy that wrote Peter Pan, was partly inspired because he saw a mom one time watching her kid while her kid was just stuffing his face with candy. And she wouldn't stop him. And finally she said, honey, if you keep eating like that, you're going to be sick tomorrow. And he just kept right on eating and said, no, mother, I shall be sick today. Okay, that's not love. I should be sick today. That's not love. To love is to want other people also to become people who are immersed in self-giving love, people of excellent character, and to want to enhance them and to give to them and to be generous with them and to speak truth to them and to challenge them. I was talking with a good friend about that this morning, about um, having a spouse who would challenge him. And how do I respond to that? Do I receive that? Am I eager for that? Am I living not in the great quid pro quo where I'm trying to get what I want. Am I living in a better story of self-giving love? And I was thinking, I'm married to somebody who is so generous in that way. We have this picture we can't use anymore. There's somebody else in my life. I think if we were able to give it to her, she would just love it. And she did. Here's a little child. She just moved into a new place. We could bring gifts for that little child. Here's somebody else that's got a really difficult day. They could use some help with childcare. I could go over this afternoon and do that with them. Here's somebody that might need a car. We could help make one available for them. Just today, receive love from the God who is not the God of the quid pro quo. Not the God of the great transaction, not the symbiotic, here's what I'll get from you, you scratch my back and I'll scratch your back. The God of the cross, the God of self-giving love. And then God, how can I add value in this moment, in this conversation, with this person? End of teaching, beginning of your self-giving, loving day together with the God of new beginnings.
Thanks for joining us. My name is Tim. I'm a part of the team here at Become New. If you'd like to receive the emails that go along with each video, you can let us know at becomenew.com slash subscribe. Or if you'd like to receive a text alert whenever we release a new video, you can text the word become to the number 855-888-0444. If you have a prayer request, please let us know. You can text that request to that same number, 855-888-0444. There's a group of us who meet every day to pray over those requests. So we look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.